0: still embarrassed that we all decided to pretend that inflatable chairs were comfortable when they weren't
1: who's bringing those back thomas who's bringing i have back? i haven't, I haven't chairs? seen those come
0: back yet and i hope they stay dead
1: <laughs> hi and welcome to the episode of my name is brandon sparks and i'm thomas horton and here on centenation we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them Today is the final episode of the fan-favorite fictional band-slash-singer genre. And for our last show of the month, you, we usually talk about a director, but there, weren't, there wasn't really a director we could talk about for this <laughs> month of fictional band. There was one, John Carney, who did Once and Sing Street. He, he's done a few movies, but wasn't enough, I think, to warrant a full episode. Um, so we decided to, to, to talk about just one more movie, I and mean, we wanted to talk about a movie that people really love. And that we also enjoy. And so today we will be talking about the 2001 film adaptation, the film adaptation of the Archie Comics slash Hanna-Barbera com- cartoon series, Josie and the Pussycats. But before we dive into the film, Thomas can give everyone like a recap on what we've talked about in the other episodes this month.
0: I mean, one thing we've really touched on a lot is how important the music is to the to the fake, fake band, the fictional band or fictional singers genre um, that's really the make or break that we've found as we've go, gone back through all these movies. That's what really makes the great ones stand out is having some songs that, that sound realistic, that sound like whatever story you're telling could actually happen and that these bands and these artists could chart in whatever decade or whatever era mm-hmm. or genre that they're playing in. We've also talked about um, how a lot of these stories pay tribute to a specific Musical genre or specific era in music, even when they're trying to tell their own story. You know, one of the one of the movies we talked about this this month, *Walk Hard*, is obviously a parody, and so it mm-hmm. was very closely kind of satirizing some of those stories. But with that thing you do and almost famous, it was more like paying homage to to this time and trying to recreate these nostalgic feelings for for the British invasion or the um, the burst of 1970s rock so it's it's definitely something that it's important to evoke the the right feeling to really nail whatever musical genre you're in whatever time period you're in and if you're a parody to really nail you know to really have some smart commentary on on what you're talking about whether it is the music film industry like we talked about last yeah. week or as we're going to discuss this week the music industry
1: yeah it, it's funny because we we sometimes plan these out fairly well i don't think we planned it out on purpose that uh we do the two parody satires in the back end of this month mm-hmm. but it just happened that way <laughs> the first yeah. the first half was the love letter and 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 wall a little bit of love letter too but still like these kind of uh um, satires these parodies of Uh, of the genre ben uh ben gertz who comes on the show a lot we were doing a clubhouse talk today about this genre and he brought up a good point about how a lot of these movies is kind of you're you're saying thomas is there these movies are kind of like biopics of an era Mm -hmm. in a way with that thing you do are almost famous and then today when we talk about joseph and the pussycats it's oddly a also a biopic unknowingly a biopic of its era Yeah, Uh, of the kind of turn of the millennium yeah
0: we'll get into it but i I think part of the reason why it works and why it might even arguably work better now than it did when it came out is because it is you know it's such a heightened version of what was the present when the movie was made but it now it almost fits like these these other movies we've been talking about as kind of this like hyper realized uh you know, grab bag of like all these things that were happening in that time. It it It's, yeah. it's almost like it was made to be a time capsule of, of the early 2000.
1: Yeah. Cause I'll have a few facts later on about like kind of what, it, like what happened right after this movie mm-hmm. Um, that really does it. But yeah. And we'll talk about two, one trope that I don't think we purposely were, were searching for. And this is more, not really a trope, but more just the aftermath of all these films is that all four films we talked about all underperformed. Like, yeah. And in, in terms of financially, at least, uh, maybe not critically, but all financially underperformed. That thing you do uh, out of these four is the only one that actually uh, turned a profit number-wise from budget to gross. But with with Hollywood accounting, I don't know if it actually did turn a profit.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's something you're going to see a lot within this genre. If you were to expand and we've, we've got our letterbox list, but, uh, you know, obviously Spinal Tap was a cult film that, that underperformed when it came out. And another one you just brought up, that's a great example of kind of the love letter to another decade was, um, was Sing street, which Mm -hmm. you and I both know there's a whole community of Sing street fans out there who, who will eternally shout from the rooftops that it's underrated. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot of these, a lot of these films are much beloved, but, but yeah, it might not be the most commercially viable, uh, Film genre out there,
1: yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't think it is, but I think why when we'll discuss more with this episode too, but like we've kind of touched on this previous this this month is like what's helped is the music of the mm-hmm. movies, the exactly. ones that have 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 had a l- longevity to them, a a le- uh, a longer legacy. It's because you're able to like take the music with you, like yeah. the music is much easier, it's 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 more accessible uh to you then say go and sing and watching a movie for two and a half hour or hour and a half or two hours uh or if it's almost famous two hours and 45 minutes because the director's got <laughs> um but with this is that you can just you can listen to pretend to be nice or that thing you do or, or fever dog uh on spotify yeah
0: and I, I think we're continuing to see you know there's a lot of songs i can point to right now that were written to be pop songs or rock songs or contemporary songs within movies that have far outperformed the films yeah. they were in, you know, another one that I think technically fits into this genre a little bit is, um, is a goofy movie, which, you know, eye to eye like continues <laughs> yeah. to resonate. And and the one that really comes to mind is like a fictional song that is just, you know, out past the film it was in completely is there's a, there's a whole generation of kids that love, scotty doesn't know that don't even know <laughs> what Eurotrip trip is
1: and see, this is another thing too I, I i discussed this with ben on the clubhouse today uh is that a lot of this genre like the ones that do well it's like they attract that they, they they uh they tap into the youth culture in some mm-hmm. way whether that be and, and he was like it's not like an old man talking about youth culture but i was like no if you look at it like i feel like a lot of them at least it it hit them when they were young and now they've gotten older and that's what's like, it's the youth of that era. But also like, I think as we'll talk about today, it's like social media has had an influence on a lot of these films. Mm -hmm. Like when you look at three of the four movies that we, we discussed this month, there is a social media presence with at least three of them. All three of them had had zoom three of these uh, with, uh, with Josie and the Pussycats, Almost Famous and um, that thing you do. They had like Zoom reunions or reunions of some kind during COVID. Mm-hmm. So there is a, a, a lasting uh, legacy with many of these films. Um, but let's dive in to Josie and the Pussycats. So today we're talking about Josie and the Pussycats 2001 film. A film about an all-girl rock band that mysteriously rises to the ranks of the music industry at a rapid pace. Uh, if you haven't seen this film, it's currently streaming on HBO Max. Uh, the film stars Rachel Lee Cook as the title character of Josie. And Rosario Dawson and Tara Reid ran out the rest of the Pussycats as Valerie and Melody. Uh, they spend most of their days struggling to become a successful rock band, playing in the bowling alley at the, in their small town of Riverdale, uh, hey. which is very relevant today. Uh, one night, they're discovered by a cunning promoter slash manager, Wyatt Frame, played by Alan Cumming. And Wyatt works for a, a record label called Mega Records, which is run by a powerful woman by the name of Fiona. And Fiona uses her record label to funnel subliminal messages to the listeners of the music. And Josie and the Pussycats could be their biggest moneymaker yet and their biggest, I'll say, influencer. Um, When it comes to the crew, (laughs) the film was written and directed by Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elfant, who were coming off their 1998 comedy, Can't Hardly Wait. Um, The film was also produced by Mark Platt, who has now become famous for producing several high-profile musicals like La Land and Into the Woods. He is also producing the upcoming Film adaptations of Wicked and Dear Evan Hansen. Uh, This was actually his first producing credit. Wow. Was this movie? He he had like an EP credit in like an 80s on something. But Mm -hmm. this is like first Mark Platt produced by uh, Mark Platt Productions. 2001. It was like one of our films as well. Uh, The film was also produced by Tracy Edmonds. And her then husband, Kenneth Babyface Edmonds, served as one of the producers of the soundtrack. The other producer of the soundtrack was Adam Schleisinger, who we discussed earlier this month with That Thing You Do. <laughs> uh, and the last man I want to bring up, too, uh, just because of his uh, notoriety or his prestige, is Matthew LeBateek, <laughs> who was just coming off of Darren Aronofsky's films Pie and Requiem for a Dream when he served as the cinematographer for this film. He also did a movie called Tigerland, directed by Joel Schumacher. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's the movie. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's, I think, a 90-minute give or take movie. It's a quick watch, um, but initial thoughts, Thomas, like what's your history with this movie? If you have one,
0: I, I didn't see this in theaters, but we rented this from Blockbuster like it's like the weekend same. it came out because I loved the Josie and the Pussycats cartoon. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with the cartoon, but it is a 100% Scooby-Doo knockoff made by the same studio <laughs> yeah, Anna yeah. Barbera that made Scooby-Doo. But I mean, they recycled some of the same animation cells, and it was literally just this group of teenagers that went around and solved mysteries. Like that was it was the exact same thing. But um, mm-hmm. I was obsessed with Scooby Doo as a kid. It was my favorite cartoon, and so I would watch Josie and the Pussycats as like a consolidation prize. You know, it was like okay, Scooby Doo's <laughs> not on right now, but uh, Josie Pusky and the Pussycats is. is on, and it had a killer theme song one of even better than scooby-doo honestly one of the best cartoon theme songs ever that song slaps (laughs) um
1: it's the monkeys song of uh of cartoons yeah
0: yeah (laughs) um better than the monkeys uh oh now (laughs) come on come on i wish we could play it right now but um but yeah so we we rented it the weekend it came out and i remember i remember having a good time watching it but i i remember my parents being like i don't get it and, <laughs> and i think that's something we're gonna come to is like this movie is super yeah. meta and we've talked about it before when i declared my love for the bewitched movie uh on this <laughs> podcast, Efron. but yeah in the in the mid 2000s people were just not ready for meta humor um it was just not it was not the time for it yeah and it's something I always, I always filed away in the back of my mind as being like, I like that when I was a kid, but like I know that everyone says it's bad. Yeah, same. And then in the past, like five or six years, there's been this resurgence of people being like, "Oh yeah, this movie's hilarious. It's really spot on in the like meta satire that it's doing, and the music is awesome." And and I'm a I'm a uh, I'm a big fan of um, Letters for Cleo who the lead singer provided the vocals for this and it sounds just a lot like their music you might also know them from uh 10 things i hate about you yep (laughs) but um i didn't have that
1: that. in the script so i'm glad you brought that up i was like i don't know if i need to put that in there so there you go yeah that
0: great late 90s like pop punk sound yes and um, that's gonna
1: be a big key in this in this movie too
0: but yeah, that's something I just I, that was that was one of those movies. I, and I've I've loved this kind of revisiting, especially in the streaming age of these movies that were like too meta and just went right over our collective heads. So, yeah, I'm really glad that this one's made kind of this cult comeback.
1: Yeah, someone uh, I think it was one of the uh, one of the pe- one of the songwriters on the because there's a lot of songwriters on this album, as you'll get to you'll find out. Uh, but one of them said it was the idi- idiocracy of the music industry is what, mm. they, what yeah. they said it was. Yeah um yeah s- similar similar story with me thomas is that like i i think i rented it blockbuster i think i, I think i like thought that was fine like that was good uh I, but i i'd watched it a few times later so i i knew i liked it enough i was also just to out myself here i've said this before i was a big rachel lee cook fan uh mm. loved her and, I mean, tom she and is, Huck.
0: she is all that
1: she is all that loved her in tom and hook as becky thatcher i love that movie with jtt uh and Brad Winfro, and then she's also in babysitters club no one she was in that i watched mm-hmm. i mean uh deborah Kaplan and harry uh Elfant really directed my like young crushes of that era of with Jeffrey love you and can't hardly uh, wait and uh, yeah i mean it, it should also
0: be said that, that <laughs> you and i are both huge fans of, of can't hardly wait i i love oh, yeah. that movie
1: yeah it, it's so, so so it's like this was like even revisiting i'm like oh they did this movie as well so and we'll talk into more about their history of directing uh as we get into this later but yeah so it that's what i kind of found out about and similar as Thomas, is i heard a few years ago of kind of the rumblings of there's the a big
0: um i i knew a couple people that went they they did a big yeah 16th anniversary at, the, at yeah. the ace hotel um yes I knew a few people that went and they did like the, they showed it and had a concert. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think that's when I started to catch wind of it. And then I think a few years ago, maybe two, pre COVID, but not like far before COVID, I think like two or three years ago, I had watched it again and I was like, oh, I get it. And I think it was <laughs> when I worked at the video store too here in LA, one of the guys in the, in the store really loved the movie. And I was just like, really? And I think he played it and it's the same when, he was playing it and I walked in. It was the scene when Rachel e. Cook's, like, walking the streets, listening to the music or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's the way, like, Mahalo Boutique shoots it. And I go, oh, yeah, this is just the music videos of that era. Like, this is, like, yeah. they all, like, just music videos of, of this era when they do the musical stuff. Um, And, yeah, it's a good point you bring up the meta stuff because that was a big thing that just kind of went over a lot of people's head. And also, too, the meta approach kind of became the norm, unknowingly for, I guess, the audiences, that the norm for, like, a- adapting Old TV shows. Yeah. Um, that's a big thing, and we'll get into that here. Um, so let's dive into a brief history of how this got made. So we have to start the story with Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elfont and how they came to this project. So Kaplan and Elfont had met while attending the Tisch School of Fine Arts at NYU. They were both originally from Pennsylvania, but they met in New York City. And at school, they began their creative partnership. Uh before directing their directorial debut of Can't Hardly Wait in 1998, Kaplan and Elfont made their screenwriting debut with another adaptation of a kitschy IP. And that was the very Brady sequel in oh, 1996. They were two of the meta. co-writers. Very, yeah, those are very meta. <laughs> uh, and Elphont said that that was one of the reasons why they were offered Josie and the Pussycats, because they had proven that they could handle like this old-school, kitschy story. He also said... That was the main reason why they passed on Joseph and the Pussycats, because they didn't want to do the same thing over. They then realized they, they could tell a story that they believe satirized the current music industry, which at that point was mostly pop music that was designed for mass appeal. So you're having the the boy bands, the girl bands, the girl bands. It's the world of uh, Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and um, Spice Girls and Britney Spears and all these people. Uh, and Eliphant said it was very different compared to the music they grew up around in the early 90s or late 80s that was, as they deemed, authenticity or authentic uh, bands like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Sonic Youth and this kind of grunge era that was coming out of Seattle. And this is all kind of bubblegum pop. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kaplan and Elfant began writing the script, leaving sections open for where they needed music. Once the script was written, the directing duo talked to the producer of the film, Tracy Edmonds, and they asked if her then-husband, Kenneth Edmonds, a.k.a babyface would be interested in producing mm-hmm. the songs for the film they pitched him on producing a pop punk sound which is something that something he had never done before uh for those that don't know babyface a very highly acclaimed r&b uh producer and singer songwriter so he comes on board because he's like i've never done pop punk before and they're wanting this all girls blink 182 like green day sound uh and babyface took it Because he loved Joe's and the Pussycats TV show, and that's why he decided to do it. This is when they assembled a group of songwriters to create songs for this film. They brought in Dave Gibbs of the Giccolo Ants, which I, some of these bands, I gotta learn a lot about these bands in this era, because there's a lot of names I don't recognize. Shows you my, kind of my pop punk, uh, uh, um, kind of missing piece of my music, of my music listening kind of catalog. Um, but Gibbs, so so Gibbs was brought on to help write songs and produce with Babyface for some of them. Gibbs had also worked on That Thing You Do a few years before, helping write uh, Little Wild One for the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, then they began bringing on more screenwriters, including names like Jane uh, Wideland. I apologize if I mispronounced that. Who was a co-founder of the Go-Go's. Uh, Jason mm-hmm. Faulkner of Jellyface, Jellyfish. Sorry, not Jellyface. Jellyfish. And Adam Duritz of the Counting Crows. Yeah. Adam Schlesinger of Fountains of Wayne and that thing you do fame fame. Jane Widlin didn't seem too fond of the experience from what I read in the interview that she did with Fader.com. She said she was super stoked to work with Dave Gibbs, who was a great writer, but then I got there and it was like the whole this whole room of people. There were like a thousand songwriters in the songs that I did. Come on and you don't see me. It was insane. I've never experienced anything like that before. Usually when I write, I feel confident and joyful but this experience was hard. Hmm. Uh, And it just seems like they were bringing tons of writers to give their two cents on songs that were happening. So there were some songs that just had like six or more songwriters on it. So while they were writing the songs, they began searching for a cast. Uh, A search began for Josie and the Pussycats. When Kaplan and Elfont were auditioning actresses for Can't Hardly Wait, they remembered an actress by the name of Rachel Lee Cook that auditioned for jennifer love hewitt's character and can't hardly wait Hmm. at the time of casting cook was becoming a bigger name because of the recent success of she's all that in 1999 which also starred fray prince jr and it was a script rewritten by m night Shyamalan. for those who don't know uh (laughs) cook later said that she was surprised she was cast she said somehow they gave one of the title roles to me and i cannot sing it all i don't play guitar i have no idea the only actress that did not have to audition was Tara Reid uh, because she was becoming kind of one of Hollywood's it girls at the time because of American pie. She had a lot of kind of star power around her. So this is kind of her peak era and, and the big Lebowski and big Lebowski. I mean, a lot of stuff and universal pictures who I think did both of the movies. I know they did American pie, but I think they did big Lebowski too, Were they were excited to have her on board for this movie. So after the cast was made, they were now tasked with finding a singer to match Rachel Lee Cook. Cook was a good singer, but apparently not a great lead vocalist. Uh Babyface apparently had a singer lined up, but when they tested her, they realized she was too good of a singer and that no one would believe her, like believe her voice coming out of Cook. <laughs> that's when they that's when they looked to to the to the, their group of songwriters and found Kay Hanley, who was the lead singer of Larry to Cleo. In an interview with Billboard, Hanley said that she she was brought in to sing the background vocals for the songs when they realized the chosen singer wouldn't work. They asked her to try it and she landed the role saying it was a very right place, right time type deal. This is when they began recording the songs for the film. But as they finished recording, Kaplan and Elphont realized that the majority of the songs they had done were all these manufactured type songs. These, these bubblegum pop songs and they didn't have the songs of like the raw sound that comes at the beginning of the movie with Josie and the pussycats and they're like we have to go write more songs so kaplan and Elfant then write three small words with contributions from adam duritz of counting crows and dave gibbs nice uh and it seems like after all these songs were done the studio finally decided to release a soundtrack for the movie which is apparently not the plan is what it sounds like i'm not entirely sure it's kind of up in the air uh, so a few weeks after Hanley had finished recording her vocals, they called her back up saying, we're doing more. We got to do a whole soundtrack now. Um, so half the album was recorded in L.A. with Babyface producing and Dave Gibbs helping as well as some of the producers. And the other half was done in Boston with Adam Schlesinger producing. And Schlesinger had written the song, Pretend to be Nice, earlier in the sessions which Babyface produced. So we had the songs, we had the cast, the team's assembled, and that's how it all came together for filming. So, Thomas, give me a favorite scene in this movie.
0: All right. If we're going chronologically,
2: <laughs> everything I think it's du jour's the, in? I think, it's,
0: I think it's the first scene with du jour. <laughs> du jour means
1: family. Du, du jour means seatbelts, or whatever he says. Du jour means crash landing. <laughs> du
0: jour means crash position. <laughs> yeah no that it's perfect i mean they they are like spot on backstreet boys (laughs) it's such a fun crew it's it's a lot of the guys coming off of can't hardly wait yeah um which you know are all hilarious and we get our intro to wyatt which i don't want to tip my hand at the (laughs) beginning of the podcast but alan Cumming is a revelation in this movie
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, he fully he 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 is a cartoon character in all the good way possible, like all the best yeah, way possible.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's it's a blast. And to watch him like try and handle them and and it's you know, it's one of those things, it's it's you're you're not really sure if you're watching this for the first time, you're introduced to this boy band and they seem great and they seem really hip, and you're not sure where this is going, and then they get on the plane and they're just children. Like they are just toddlers. <laughs> and um, uh, and it's it's great. Everyone is is hilarious in it. And it is an awesome intro to the film. And then for that to lead straight into the like opening credits with um, three small words is just yeah perfect. It's you're you know, you've got Alan coming like parachuting out of this airplane. You, you have the Backstreet Boys murdered in the first like five <laughs> minutes of the movie. And then you're just like, what? What is this? I don't know what this is, which is why I think it, it had such a hard time uh catching people in in 2001
1: and not just that but like the the product placement in that opening scene of like the target oh yeah the target uh logos which by the way i don't think target was as big we did not have ended, a target
0: i i yeah, definitely I didn't, didn't have a know target. it was a, i definitely was a big didn't deal know later. what target was when i saw yeah. this movie for the first time Same.
1: um so I, I feel like when target came to my tail i was like oh that's the thing from chosen the pussycats that's why i yeah. feel was in my head
0: it's so funny if you go back and read some of the the Like critics of this film when it came out, some people like didn't realize that the product placement was a joke. (laughs) No,
1: no, they thought that they thought they were hypocrites. Yeah, because they were like, "You're making this comment about the music industry, but you're taking all these product placements."
0: Yeah, yeah. I I remember I remember when the episode of Thirty Rock came out when um Liz Lemon like talks about how great Verizon is, and then she like looks directly into camera and goes, "Can we have our money now?" And everyone. Like the internet, like blew up that week because they were like, "This is the greatest joke. This is so funny." And I was like, "Yeah, put- Josie and the Pussycats already did that."
1: <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll leave that for later. But there's a, there's a, a a thing that goes with that. But yeah, so that opening scene, like, I mean, just Seth Green, like, there he is, doing my face. <laughs> face we're on, the, we're on the cover that was my thing I mean just all of them because it's Donald F- Faison and Seth Green and, Breck and Meyer, and the other guy is Alexander Martin who is also in Can't Hardly Wait but the the lesser name mm. of the four um I feel like that's the reason when they come back at the end I feel like it was just like okay we yeah can't they not the schedule three guys. any other guys to come back. <laughs> we gotta get we gotta bring the one guy who doesn't do as much but yeah the chemistry but because but, Green Meyer and Faison are just so they've been so many movies together they've done so many so many projects together uh, before and after, they have such great chemistry.
3: What? yes? Could you make me talk to Marco about him always doing my face? You remember in the what video, I established the face? Well, ever since then, every time you see Marco, he's doing the face and it's mine. You look at him on TRL, hi, Carson. You look at him on the Kids' Choice Awards, this is ours, thanks. And then right here on the cover of 17 Magazine, hi, little girl, beauty secrets, it's my face. My face. Oh, hey, Travis, am I here doing your face? Cause God forbid I do your face because it's such a good face. Saying, boys, 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 boys. boys, boys. boys my
2: face! Hold on, hold on. My face! friendship. Thank you,
3: Les. Now, listen. Listen to me. Let's all take a moment. When we land, I will call the choreographer and she will give you a new face. Oh, too bad your mama couldn't give you a good face take that back right
1: now because actually the, the pilot is uh harry alphont i believe the director he won the code the co-director he's the pilot at the end but what i love with alan Cumming again he's great in the scene as well but i love all the musical references that he makes throughout the movie yes of the like yes. when he's when he's like take the chevy to the levee and yeah. that's when they play, crash the plane because that's the yeah. reference to buddy holly and all them dying in a plane crash and then it's the uh when, when they, when he goes to the Virgin record store and it's the, like the, the, the kind of like grunge girl who's like, I can't stand that shit. And he's just like, he calls him. He's like, we got smells like teen spirit over here. Yeah. Like, it's like he just and then, and then my other side thing, just go with the references of when he's like, so you want to be a rock superstar? Big house, big cars. We starts quoting Cypress Hill rap song to (laughs) to Josie of like, Mm -hmm. you wanted this? It's the whole. Yeah, it's just the way they throw in these references. I think it's just it's it's masterful how they do it. And it's just funny. And again, we said I said this on Walk Hard last last week about how like when you're younger, if you if you're not in on the joke, it's it's very hard. I mean, it's very easy to misunderstand it and think it's just like what's going on. But when you get the joke, it makes everything so much better. And I think with this movie, just on the, on the small scale, those musical references, but in general, overall, once you get what's being said, it's just a much enjoyable film.
3: I'm running a label here, Josephine. I have other artists who need me. Other artists who need my time. Other artists who aren't so difficult about putting in a little bit of extra work. Frankly, your level of non-commitment is making me doubt your commitment commitment. So you want to be a rock superstar, eh? Live large, big house, five cars. Well, you have to do the time. Otherwise, somebody else will.
1: And you'll be left to explain it all to Mel and Val. I am committed. And then off of that, you're talking about the title sequence of when they do three small words. There's two title sequences in this movie. Because it's... It's the opening with the jour and it's like all like Mark Platt productions presents or universal MGM these it's doing all that and introducing people. And then it has a whole scene of -hmm. the jour on the plane. And then it's Alan coming dropping off. And then we just hard cut three small words and the credits start again. And now we get the title of the movie. (laughs) I don't know if I've really ever seen it. I mean, I I probably have, but I've, I've never seen it done that way where it's like two credit sequences and then a big, or like a big gap in between, and then bringing it back for the other, like the real credit sequence of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to also, but yeah, going off that, a great beginning to introduce those characters, and it, and it establishes kind of this again, this music video feel that's going to be present throughout most of these most of these musical like uh, sequences. And I do like how they kind of like establish this like small town like they, they establish Riverdale yeah
0: you get you get some Riverdale vibes and, yeah um, and and they set you up right at the beginning you know it's, obviously this this is not it's loyal to you know the plot line of a of a episode of the cartoon it, it kind of actually it kind of is when you think they, they they unmask a villain who has an evil plot at the end I guess but um but they I mean that they have the core cast because because as well as Josie and the Pussycats on the cartoon it was it was uh Alexander and Alexandra who are along mm-hmm. and Alan M who was their roadie yeah. and uh, Alexandra's cat, which didn't play in, but that's fine. Nobody needs him. Um, but yeah, you, you when you're watching this, there's obviously like, the, they're like, yeah, if you guys like the cartoon, here you go. There's, there's everyone that you're, that, you know,
1: the one thing I want to bring up to go with that opening of it. And kind of, so the thing about this movie, I don't have a lot of scenes because the weird thing about this film, it's a lot of just the tone of it and what it's doing does mm-hmm. that make sense it's like yeah. it's hard to be like that was a great scene i think overall it really nails what it's going for and to kind of bring that in it has the odd when looking at my notes and, and i'm kind of putting two and two together with this now there is a weird connection to me with edward scissorhands i want to bring this up real quick because you have the whole neighborhood sequence the suburb sequence which is very reminiscent like with how uh um Edward Scissorhands does it where Edward where he lives with kind of all the matching houses with this one it's a similar sequence and they all have matching cars if you notice it's the same like tan SUV which my next door neighbor had uh <laughs> when I was growing up and I was like I know that that car um and then there's also like, I think at one point they even bring in like a score towards the end that feels like Danny Elfman and Edward Scissorhands so there's like a weird kind of like comment again on conformity and and uh, and kind of group think versus individual think and all that stuff. It's in this movie, which it's, I know I'm stretching it a little bit, but like with Edward Sister Hands, there's a very some similar things in there.
3: Maybe you broke it. Whoa, I didn't touch it. Josie and the Pussycats are the best band ever. They are totally jerkin'. You must buy their CD. You have to see them in concert. You also have to buy Steve Madden's shoes. Heath Ledger is the new Matt Damon. You're nobody without an Abercrombie and Fitch vintage tee. They're
4: selling stuff through our music.
3: Josie and the Pussycats are the best band ever.
4: They're selling us through our music. I knew there was a reason you were so popular.
3: I want a vintage tea and Heath Ledger.
4: Oh, my God. It's all my fault. Everything. People dressing alike, buying the same stuff. I sold it to them.
1: Also, to tie it back into the movies we talked about, you have the whole photo shoot sequence, which is when they're uh, doing uh, Pretend to be Nice. I think it's what it is. Mm-hmm. That song. Very reminiscent of Walkhard when Dewey is rising up, when Dewey Cox is rising uh, the ranks of, of uh, the Billboard chart. Same thing with here, Billboard sequence. They do the same thing in That Thing You Do. Three movies we've done this month have like a Billboard montage rise it's, to fame. Something,
0: something I really like that, that Walcard and Josie and the Pussycats do really well is they show you that montage, which is generally used in something like that thing you do to represent this like huge passing of time. And then they, in, in Josie and the Pussycats, they say like, wow, I can't believe it's only been a week. Like as soon as you come back from the montage. <laughs> and I also love, in, in Walk Hard, they have, um, uh, uh, Jack McBrayer has that little cameo where he's like, it's a new hit single. It just came out 30 minutes ago. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, I love just the, the, we, it's the weirdness of this movie is just, is, is what just like, I could see why it was so misunderstood when it came out, mm-hmm. like the Parker Posey stuff it's just so out I and mean, this is the first time i saw parker posey i think was this movie
0: oh i i had i had or, you've got mail was before this so
1: okay ne- never mind you're right i've seen her before i'd seen her and you've got me
0: you've got mail was for sure my introduction to parker posey
1: i don't but i don't know if i like different hairstyle i was a kid um <laughs> uh i didn't know anything um but no i love but the parker posey stuff like her just wanting friends like that's the whole point. Like
0: manufactured girl talk room. That that's that sequence is really unsettling. Parker posey it is, is like frightening in this movie.
1: Yes. And well, it's the like she takes a nut, she goes, Oh, never mind, and just puts <laughs> it back or whatever. Let's have yeah. girl talk. Yeah, it's it's just so How much do you weigh? Ha, huh, I beat you. It's like it's just so <laughs> it's just so weird. And but like in all a good way, I mean in a bad way. Josie
2: Oh, I am starved.
4: I'm such a pig. No. No, you're not. So, Josie, how much do you weigh? Excuse me? Your weight? 118. Ha, 115. I'm three pounds lighter than you. But don't worry about it. I think you look great, though pretty and popular. What'd you just say? Nothing. I said the new song's pretty popular. What song? The new song, the new single. I'm sorry. I've something caught my teeth. Got it. (laughs) So who
0: wants to French break? All right. If we're doing scenes, I've got one I have to call out. Yeah. And this was the one, even when I was a kid, like I I probably went f- 12 years between the first time I saw this movie and the second time I saw it. And I could have, I remembered this scene particularly for those 12 years. And it's the total Re- total request live scene. Mm-hmm. Huge when I was a kid. I didn't even know what, I, I didn't know what meta was. I really didn't know why Carson Daly was on here trying to kill Tara Reid, but I knew it was funny. And I knew it was funny as a kid, too, because I knew that they were dating at the time uh, when this movie came out. So I was like, that's hilarious.
1: Because uh, it's a little bit of a spoiler, because they, they met on the set is why.
0: That's, I, I can see when you're talking about the Tim Burton, because it, it's it's really that seems really twisted.
2: But yeah, it's it played
0: with this like manic poppiness that, that, you know, pervades this film. But that I think that scene especially is is. You know, and you've got Airy Spears like doing impressions while he's trying to kill Rosario <laughs> Dawson. It's so at, weird, at, but it's he's like, at,
1: Or what was the one that he said? She, she goes, what was that? And he's like, it's a uh, uh, Chris Rock. And she's like, that was a terrible Chris Rock.
0: <laughs> and, uh, he's got that line about like, it's not Total Request Live. It's Total Request Dead.
1: <laughs> All
3: right.
4: Is everybody ready to start the show?
3: Oh, my God. It's Carson. Oh, my
1: God. It's Melody.
4: Yo man, and you gotta stop trying to be me with the nails thing.
3: What cool. you saying, man? A brother can't be Carson Daly? No, that's not what I'm saying.
4: Mm. It's just that I actually am
3: Carson Daly, so it doesn't work right now.
4: Well, he was gonna break my gazoons, man. What's I'm Carson Daly. That's pretty good,
3: man. Who else do you do? I well, do Mike Tyson. I would take a bite out of you. Man.
2: Okay, what is going on? Are you is this TRL or not?
4: <laughs> this is not Total Request Live. It's more like Total Request Dead. <laughs>
3: Yeah, you see, ladies, we've only got one request today, and that's to kill you. (laughs) Carson said he's going to kill us.
2: Like, that's the request. All
3: right, man, I got the blonde.
2: He's not kidding. Go!
0: I really like, I mean, you know, I can't call out the whole ending as a scene, but I I do love the kind of reveal at the end. Of everything. With, um... Of Parker Posey and then when Alan, Alan, <laughs> Alan Cumming and Wyatt like reveals Walmart. himself. And- Parker
1: and Parker and Alan Cumming are really great together in this movie. Like I'm thinking like that maniacal laugh sequence when they're like trying to one up each other, like mm-hmm. when it's like ha, 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 and they just keep going and going. Uh no, they're wonderful. And like I said, I I the, I think the three girls, I think three uh women with Dawson Reed and Cook uh are really good together and all their mm-hmm. kind of musical sequences are really work so yeah
0: cook cook plays it really well like you would believe that was her she's got kind of rock star energy through this
1: she does she does
4: why do you call it our music because are you even listening i am listening very carefully and do you know what i'm hearing i'm hearing someone looming on to my talent and my credit. Our music, Mel? I basically write all of it. Josie, no you don't. We write it together. Oh, OK. So if we're all doing equal amounts of work, why isn't the band called Valerie and the Pussycats? I knew it.
2: You've been thinking this the whole time. I'm just, I'm just back up to you, huh? Oh, but you're a good
4: solid back. Oh hey, Val. Who's a rock star? Who's a rock star? I am.
1: Let's go into onset life. Okay. So it seems the majority of people involved in the production had a lot of fun, especially the leads. The film was shot in Canada from august twenty first two thousand to october twenty sixth, two thousand in Vancouver. Uh, before filming the three leads went through two weeks worth of band camp to learn how to play because none of them apparently knew how to play tara yes. reed found it very funny because going to band camp was a big thing in the american pie series that she had been in <laughs> that's true <laughs> during the movie cook as i said had to wear a redheaded wig for her josie character I, apparently from one of the zoom reunions i just watched she, began, she became so annoyed by it that she buzzed her hair so it would be easier to fit on and like not bother her as much. While shooting in Vancouver, the cast stayed at the Sutton Place Hotel. Apparently, this is a hotel that every actor stays at while filming in Vancouver. Uh, Rachel E. Cook recently said there, were, there were all, there's always a million actors staying there. Uh, she said in a recent interview that she was staying at the hotel for another project recently when she ran to Gabriel Mann, who plays Alan M., on the same floor as her filming something else. And this is like 20 years later. <laughs> they run to each other at the same hotel. Uh, one person, however, apparently didn't have a lot of fun on set. And that was Parker Posey. Oh. As you know, if you're a fan of Posey, you know she is known for her roles in many indie films. Yep. Apparently, she took the role for the money. It was said that be- because of that, she didn't take it as seriously as she might have with one of her... Indie projects. Uh she would she would make comments on said apparently, according to the directors, that the film was helping her renovate her apartment. Um the directors say that she believed she might have thought she was selling out because she was doing a kids' film as she saw it. Uh she apparently wasn't thinking about the satire aspects of the film. Yeah. But Elfont and Kaplan said that it was Alan Cumming who helped Posey, I guess, mesh with everything because he was game. For anything, he completely understood and bought into the tone of the movie. And they said that Posey loved working with him and that because of that, she opened up more to the tone of the film. Yeah, that's
0: that's kind of surprising because I I, I was going to say earlier when we were talking about kind of the the meta of it, I was going to say the only thing through like the 90s that I can I feel like really handled that meta well and was well received for it were, were like the christopher guest films which yeah she's she's in kind of part of his ensemble this, yeah. this kind of, this is you know obviously much more pop pop art but um it it kind of has some of the feel of that as as far as the characters go
1: i agree with you on that i, I think also i think that that makes it a little bit more interesting to have her in that role because the role is like representing a corporation mm-hmm. and when i think of corporations i do not think of parker posey No, Um, I think of the exact opposite. So I think it plays into that more. Um, And again, this is all this is from articles online. I don't know if that's been misconstrued in some way, but that's what I've read. And I've heard from other sources that was the same. So who knows? Um, But Kaplan and Elephant said they were having so much fun on set and everyone was loving the satire they were going for. Once they finished the film. The reality began to set in.
0: <laughs> oh no, this sounds like walk Hard all over again. So
1: aftermath. Universal was banking on this film to be a big hit, marketing it towards a young audience because of the popular IP of and the Pussycats. The film was budgeted. It says somewhere between 22 million and 39 million. I'm gonna safely assume it's 39 million just because. Because I heard Yeah, but
0: how much of that did they subsidize with uh product placement money
1: well that's coming back don't worry that's coming back later uh so but they had a big budget so the directors were looking over the marketing materials and that's when they realized there might have been a miscalculation they said we were in this world we were only focused on the movie and this world and the jokes we were laughing at on set and then they showed us the marketing materials and it was like oh shit they're gonna sell this movie to 10 year old girls (laughs) which is (laughs) <laughs> not really the movie they're making yep. uh, the film the film was released on april 11 2001 where it was met with mixed reviews from critics and in some case some cases downright harsh reviews many of them it to compared it negatively to the cartoon and were very upset with the massive amounts of product placements one of the film's harshest critics was mr roger ebert ebert gave the film a half star half roger. star out of four
0: you didn't get it dude
1: yeah he didn't get it he compared it to the spice world movie saying joe's and the pussycats are just as dumb as the spice girls wow wow uh Raj. he also said yeah he also said my quote uh the music is pretty bad that's pr- surprising since babyface is one of the producers and and knows his way around music maybe it's supposed to sound like brainless preteen font fodder but it's not good at being bad to be or it's not but it's not good enough at being bad to be funny and stops merely at the bad stage dang the film the film did not fare better at the box office uh opened on Wednesday on April 11th 2001 and it was number 6 the box office the day of i think it might have went up to uh 4th on the weekend same same week that Joe Dirt opened at the box office. <laughs> uh, it looks like a, a head of it was spy kids, which Alan Cummings also in yep. uh, a long came a spider and Joe Dirt were the ones that were above it. The movie, cause it failed so hard with critics and, and, and uh, audiences. It kind of ended the run of most of the people involved. It feels like Uh Kaplan. Elfant said the film's failure really upset them so much. They stopped seeking directing jobs because of it. That's they nice. have yet to direct a feature film since then, 20 years yeah. later. That's that's a real bummer. Yeah, because they're, they're both good movies. Mm-hmm. Both of them are good. And then Rachel Lee Cook's kind of mainstream streak seemed to slow down uh, after that. She still works consistently, but until recently, they weren't really high-profile projects. Mm-hmm. Like, I think now with the kind of... She's been... she's smartly she's been kind of producing her own stuff of late and and she's also doing like the she's all that remake or reboot or whatever it's going to be so fast forward 20 years later and some things have changed there is now (laughs) a cult following that surrounds Josie and the pussycats many of them praising it for its sharp satire and commentary its lead female characters its visual style its time capsule nature and of course the music Many people have latched on to this film because it captures a specific era of America and the music industry. Elphont said that there are sequences in the movie where it's all CD stores. There's a whole sequence in a virgin mega store. And literally that same year the movie was released, the iPod was released and it all went away. MP3s were around, people would use Napster, but people are still were still buying CDs it's a snapshot of the end of that time in the music business where it was about, what was all about CD sales and climbing the charts.
0: Yep. And MTV, music on, and MTV.
1: MTV. MTV. music, on MTV, MTV music, MTV, which kind of t- like peters out mid 2000s. It's kind of where mm, yep. I remember that kind of being the era. I mean,
0: when, when we were kids, everyone was telling us like, Oh, you guys don't remember when there was music on MTV, but like, we still had total Request live. Yeah. We still had like the top, top 20 yeah I know pop-up video was vh one but but yeah they were still music you could still find music videos it wasn't all day every day but um but now I feel like you can't even find a music video
1: no like, but back then it's like it with music videos, like it was also like oh we got a new music video like, v- music video premiering today like mm-hmm. that was a big deal they made it a big deal if a music video was premiering and like a band was there like oh we got a new music video from this person and now it's just like Olivia Rodrigo dropped the new music video on YouTube. There you go. Yeah, you just watch that it's on not... YouTube
0: and then you go watch Catfish on MTV. Not to, I'm, I love Catfish, not to downplay Catfish, bro, but.
1: Bro, I love Catfish. Yeah. <laughs> there's, been, there's been some nights where I'll get a call from like Hunter very late in the evening. He's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm watching Catfish. Or oh, I'm watching like, it. or it's like, I'm watching Nick Cannes Wild and Out. Like for some <laughs> reason, even ridiculousness i also watch ridiculousness <laughs> a
0: lot I, yeah, like, that's the thing anytime i scroll through like tv guide now it's just like
1: MTV four hours of, of three, ridi- just yeah.
0: four hours of ridiculousness
1: mtv is one of those three things it was so funny i was back home for the holidays and uh uh i was there and i think i was like i think it was like it was on tv with my family and my i can't my, my i made a comment and my dad's like yeah i kind of like rob Deerdick. and i was like what and he like, was like where do you like, even
0: know him from
1: i was like what do you mean he's like oh i know sometimes like he's like i sometimes i see it when i'm up late at night blah, blah blah and i was like okay i just thought he was just like a casual fan then i find <laughs> out he starts, he starts like he goes i mean I, I really like sterling and uh and like i he goes, Coco chanel's kind of okay but i really like, <laughs> i was like whoa what <laughs> oh chanel west coast sorry chanel west coast i was like what are you i was like this is weird okay Good to know that you and I have the same taste in like what we watch late at night. We don't know what to put on. Ridiculousness on MTV. Anyway, sorry. Tangent. Uh back to Joseph and the Pussycats. Uh, like me the movies we talked about this month. The movie was beloved by musicians after its released. Kaplan said that she had met Bono about a year after the film's release, and he said he loved the movie uh Babyface later said that he got to do a few pop punk songs for bands specifically for fallout boy because they had loved his work on josie hmm. and the pussycats i mean
0: that's something that's something that we've seen with a lot of these movies yep is uh the the early adopters for l- these ones that have kind of not done well out the gate the early adopters are are
1: musicians musicians yep and that that tends to help like kind of like pushing along what has tremendously helped the film's continuing legacy, and funny enough, it's social media and influencers in a way. Uh, this has resulted in many reunions. Uh, as we said, one that was for the 16th anniversary, which happened at Ace Hotel. And then more recently for the 20th anniversary, they did a watch along uh, uh, the, the, the three leads. And they also did a couple of interviews for Zoom reunions and stuff. Um, but though, so there's also was a vinyl release of the soundtrack back in, uh, I guess when that 16th anniversary happened and many people have fallen in love with it and the legacy has continued to grow. Uh, there's actually will be a book release this summer. That will be the oral history of the Josie and the Pussycats movie. So nice. I think, I think a lot of people have just, as I said, latched on to this again, how it's become this like biopic of an era. Mm -hmm. of going to the cd store and like getting the new new cd uh that's that's dropped or watching trl or in in our case going to a concert because we're all stuck out we're stuck inside most of the time uh, of late, and there's no concerts but like a specific time uh in the music industry
0: it's also just kind of fun to see all these dead brands you know Um, yeah it's fun (laughs) to just kind of sit and watch and be like that's not around anymore mr movie phone is is not around anymore oh yeah uh,
1: that's a fun joke that no one gets anymore <laughs> oh mr movie phone uh i also love you know you know what's aged well though what's eugene that? levy uh in the cameo yeah, i'm
0: actually eugene levy <laughs>
1: like it might uh, it might be better now i I don't know i feel like uh, do you think now he's award-winning actor eugene yeah levy. exactly emmy award-winning actor eugene levy like, I wonder if it's aged better.
0: I mean, may, may, you know, that's another I guess it, I hadn't I hadn't thought about Eugene Levy's presence. That's another thing that maybe triggered that like Christopher Guestness in my in my mm-hmm. mind. But th- this past time I watched it, I was like, this is obviously a lot more manic than yep. any of his movies. Although some of like some of his movies, like waiting for Guffman can get pretty manic. But um, <laughs> but it, it's got something there to it. The 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 type of satire that they're going for is just kind of this all in silliness, I think really yeah. hits on that and obviously hits on you know christopher guest as as a cast member in um spinal tap it obviously hits on a lot of that as well so it's
1: christopher guest meets tim burton meets spice world meets meets spice world yeah meets pop punk um so that leads us to our next question what worked about this movie
0: uh oh my god the music this yeah. soundtrack
1: is a banger <laughs> yeah I, I i roger roger really missed it on that one yeah man it's it's good music these
0: that's and that's also the funny thing about this movie is we, we've we talked so much about how important it is to make the song sound like you could be a hit and yeah. in this movie story-wise that does uh, they could they could suck for yeah. all the matters in this story <laughs>
1: they don't have to be good because they're you're yeah. telling them you're telling them if they're good or not
0: because why it picks them up without listening to a single word of their music with a and good old then, jewel
1: case, gold CD jewel case holding it yep, up.
0: Yeah, and then they only hit it big, at least they think so, because of the brainwashing. So it's not until the very end that they really need to like pull out a great song, but they give mm-hmm. great songs the whole movie.
1: Yeah, they do. And so going off that the music part, I think to 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 go with that, it's the the aesthetics of it, of mm-hmm. how they shoot the the musical scenes. Of how they're shooting Matthew boutique shooting music videos, um, like the sequence. Uh, I mean the se- sequence when they're doing a uh, three small words in the record studio, mm-hmm. and it's so, like just like cuts, like push ins and pull back and like uh, circling and everything like that. I mean, I think it's I think it's amazing. I mean, if
0: you're going like top ten, uh, fake band music moments of all time, Matthew Lebatique's got at least two of them. He's got that. <laughs>
1: And shallow <laughs>
0: and he's got shallow man come on
1: yeah i think the music i think the aesthetics i think i think the cast for the most part yeah we'll get into some other stuff a little bit later or in everybody
0: next... in the cast is is giving it their all and you know it's it's that's something i kind of love about can't hardly wait too is there's kind of this the the main storyline you know is played pretty straight like those people are believable but everything outside mm-hmm. of of the, the outside of those of, of core, Amanda yeah. and yeah. and uh, whatever
1: his character Ethan Embry,
0: name, Ethan Embry's character's name is. Everybody else is a caricature. Everyone else is a cartoon, and that's and so they bring that energy to this really well.
1: That's a good, but that's it's, a good it's, comparison.
0: It's, yeah, when you go back and watch, like in, in, obviously Seth Green is, is yeah a poor caricature and can't hardly wait. But like everyone, everyone is. And you go back and you know all the all the jocks. And um and all the jock girlfriends, like everyone is just really playing it up, and I think that's a great style that they bring to this, and and the whole cast yeah. really buys into it for this one.
1: Did anything not work? Huh. I mean, I I have two
0: things. You have two things. Okay. Give one me, one's me. a
1: little one's a little debate at the time uh the big thing is the romantic plot i don't think works that much
0: yeah alan m's alan m's kind of he's he's
2: it's just kind of wasted i
0: think they were trying and they 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 make a couple jokes about it but i think they were trying to like throw it back to this idea in the cartoon that it's like nobody knows why josie and alexandra are both obsessed with alan m but then the they they play i don't don't know the the way that maybe the casting's a little bit off but um yeah but yeah uh, it it does kind of feel like they that's the one part that they're like oh this is a 2000s teen movie we need to put like a romance in here
1: we gotta put them together and it just kind of feels like eh like you have a little bit of the nice like i mean it may just be like the nice moment of like when he's like like helping her with her dress but that's kind of it like Mm -hmm. that's really kind of it so it's just like the moment this time when watching it just feels very flat when he's just like i love you at the concert and i'm just like Why do they love each other? I haven't seen anything that makes me think they love each other. They're like the chemistry ain't happen. That's all I have yeah, to say. Yeah, like, yeah. Maybe it's
0: yeah. Maybe it's just the chemistry, but I don't know. And making him like a musician too, because yeah. in, in the cartoons he's like a the roadie, but yeah, he's just like and he kind of disappears for a little bit. He's like, hey, I'm coming to New York with you, and then he like goes off and plays some
1: some coffee. Yeah, I'm playing a club. And, yeah, I'm playing a yeah. club. Uh. So, yeah, that's that was the big thing. And it's real. And I just, again, I said it's, it's kind of the air that we got to put. We got to put the, the leaf now with the mail. I just I don't think it's not it's needed. Um, there's a few moments that uh, one particular that's a line. that Alan Cumming says tad bit racist. Hmm. He's explaining the band. And he goes, well, one's kind of tan is what he says. Oh, I, that, I I completely missed that it's, one it's a it's throwaway line i was like whoa that's a that's a weird line choice right there yeah. uh and there's a few like the like the the, the cosby stuff doesn't age well just in context <laughs> no, they, they, um
0: they, they couldn't have, they couldn't have predicted they couldn't have predicted
1: that they couldn't have predicted that um but 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 the but yeah the the, the that kind of line
0: when he when he does the like everybody loves bill cosby
1: you know, like. Oh. <laughs> I was like, well, you, 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 you win some, you lose some. You get Eugene Levy working, working for you. But the Bill Cosby thing uh, lands just flat, completely flat. And uh. um, but yeah, so there's a few of that in there that I was just like, I mean, it was again, it's not it's not a major thing, but it was, it was a weird line that I don't think was like needed. And mm-hmm. that made me wonder whether other lines that I missed during this, like this movie yeah. they make. And that like Rosario Dawson, of course, is like the one it's kind of like cut out the most of the group is kind of thing. So it just uh, yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah, my my only thing and I I noticed it the past few times I've watched it is that it seems like they're kind of going for like, oh, it's like Fiona shouldn't have been bullied. Yeah, but then they they do they they kind of play up the lisp like a little bit too. They make a joke out of it like a little bit too much.
1: <laughs> yeah, because yeah. they,
0: they do kind of have the when they get together at the end, it's like it's like oh be yourself no matter you know how weird you are. But um, yeah, they they kind of play into the lisp a little too much for for me. But uh, but I do love I do love Wally uh, loosening his corset. It's a fantastic moment.
2: Yeah, Wally. <laughs> I
1: think it's white ass Wally. <laughs> Is that yeah. his name? White ass Wally alternate universe cast okay We got. i told you uh melody was a straight offer to tara reed Mm -hmm. there were two people who auditioned for josie that didn't get that became big one maggie gyllenhaal two zoe de chanel uh auditioned came in like with her own stuff kind of as well and the directors loved her And the studio's like, we can't cast an unknown actress in this role. Or they might have gone with Zoe Deschanel. But I'm not positive. The more interesting one is Valerie Brown, who's played by Rosario Dawson. Mm -hmm. We got Lisa Left Eye Lopez from TLC. Whoa. Read for it it twice. Yeah, twice. And really won the part. Uh, Brandy was another one who was big at this point doing acting with, like, Moesha and everything. Uh, the other one was Aaliyah. The direct, director said that she was very serious and thoughtful when she read. Wow. And the last name, and all those names I just gave you, who do you think the last name is? Oh, I don't know. Beyonce. Whoa. Read for this role. director said that she was quiet and shy. Oh, yeah. I mean... At that point,
0: we're not going to we're not going to we're not going to anger the beehive tonight.
1: No, 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 no. (laughs) That's how we lose listeners.
0: (laughs) Love Beyonce. Very talented. Not the best. Not the best actor.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So film facts. As I said, while filming TRL segment, that's when Carson Daly and Tara Reid met, uh, began dating and eventually become engaged. Uh, These next things. These are kind of funny. Uh, in order to preserve the wholesome image of Josie and the Pussycats, Archie Comics demanded there be a scene where they're seen brushing their teeth. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow, that how that really backfired for them.
1: And then the next thing, <laughs> due to the level of profanity and adult themes, the family-friendly Archie Comics, which published the original Josie and the Pussycats stories would denounce the film and discourage people from seeing it because of its content. Strangely, <laughs> many years later, the comics would, would be, would not only be fine with, but also promote the television series of Riverdale.
0: Well, uh, okay. Really quick detour. Do you know the story of Riverdale?
1: Do I know the story of Riverdale? Yeah. I stopped watching after the first six episodes. No, no,
0: no. Like, like how Riverdale came to be. No. The creator and showrunner of, of Riverdale was a writer in Atlanta with Uh the, um, with the dad's garage comedy troupe, which is the big comedy theater and and comedy troupe in Atlanta. And Uh he wrote this comedic play called Archie's big gay adventure where Archie leaves Riverdale for New York and comes out of the closet and just has like a ton of sex. And it was huge within the Atlanta comedy scene started making waves and archie comics caught wind and they were about to come down and like slap this huge uh you know legal Mm -hmm. you know shut this down cease and desist and it was one of those things where they were like we if we make a big deal out of this this is going to make the news it hasn't really broken outside of like very niche comedy circles yet and so instead they hired him (laughs) and he started writing archie comics and at first they were like you can come work for us you obviously love archie like what you put there a lot of like in jokes and things you put into this play you can come work for us but you got to like write our comic books like we want them and slowly he changed it from the inside and just kept that like what if archie was sexy vibe going for years (laughs) until he got riverdale
1: well okay (laughs) there we go uh and that was that was the big debate that was it was it Jughead or Archie that was in uh Chasing Amy where they're debating if if, if uh he's gay or not was that I think it was me? Jughead
0: and that yeah because Jughead Jughead in the comic books uh is asexual it's established um, okay. he is not he's not asexual in the show I can I can tell you that much
1: <laughs> you can guarantee that uh the next thing this is the big thing i have kind of been referencing uh, to stay with the consumer economy tone of the film from the beginning, can you guess how many companies are mentioned are shown in this movie product placement? <laughs> I wise? can't
0: even begin. I cannot. I mean, Target for sure. I think Target has it's the lowest.
1: most. Yeah. Do you think it's over or under fifty? Over fifty. It is over fifty. Seventy-three companies. Wow. And then the next thing, the big fact: no money was received from the product placement in this film. Wow. They did this with they did this on their own. Yeah.
0: I mean, I guess I guess it's it's a hard sell. Yeah. To be like, yeah, we're going to put your product in this movie about how your company like paid to have this product brainwashed into teenagers. Yeah. 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 So I could I could see how it would be hard to get people to pay for that.
1: So, yeah, they said there was a lot of controversy, as I said, the critics that they were like, how dare they? They, These hypocrites are using they're getting product placement uh, to this movie. Uh, in the movie, there's a reference to a Josie and the Pussycats movie being made within the universe. Do you know who the three people are on the poster?
0: Oh, I remember seeing it briefly, but I don't remember who who it was.
1: Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and Lucy Liu.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I did remember seeing Angels, that pop yeah. up and being like, "Oh, it's Charlie's Angels." Yep.
1: Uh, Alan Cummings' character tells the girls how lucky they are to be able to go back. to Their 10 year high school reunion is a huge success. As you know, three years earlier, he was in Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion yeah. as the character who was the most successful when he went back to his 10-year reunion. So, and he, it's very like tongue-in-cheek of like how he says it. It's like, oh, they, they're aware. This is very in reference for the Romeo and Michelle fans out there. Uh, and last thing, Cook, and Cook, Dawson, and Reed did not play on the soundtrack, but they did sing background vocals for many of the songs. Oh, nice. So there you go. All right, story questions. What do you have? um
0: do they have a good career after the brainwashing machine is broken
1: that's my question i was like how long do they last i mean people seem
0: to dig them at the concert once they took the ears off and i think that is the point that you that you know they're going for is at the end they ultimately have good music even though i love the sentiment they're they're like if you don't like this that's okay if you like this that's okay too um but yeah that's i think that's the big question i don't think josie and alan m work out i gotta say i think she could do better oh
1: most definitely (laughs) <laughs> it's rachely e. cook come on <laughs> um uh no offense to, the, to gabriel Mann who plays uh alan m uh but it's rachely e. cook uh so how long they last yeah so it's a weird point because we talked about this earlier i've kind of this pop punk era is that we don't get that's not around that much longer so do they like do they like go against they get, do what they thought they wouldn't do and they they evolve like, they become something else mm-hmm. like is it is it Taylor Swift going from country to pop? Like, what are they doing here? I don't know. The big question is, what happens to Parker Poe? What happens to Mega Records? Does she, like, still have that record label after all that? Like, is she just, She's like... She's going
0: to jail. The government set her up. That's true. You're right.
1: What happens to... Th- what, what happens to um Alexander and Al- Alexandria? Or Al- Alexandra?
0: They go back to Riverdale. Uh, Alexander finds a way to cut a deal where he doesn't have to, like, manage the band anymore. But he he still gets some money from it but um
1: is that what happens in the cartoon or comic
0: <laughs> no no he, he okay. they, they travel along with
1: him all the time okay. i feel
0: like when alan m and and josie break up alan m goes back to roverdale and alexandra follows him
1: that makes sense um last all my questions let's get to awards awards the paul williams music award favorite song of the film all right I'm, yeah i am in, i'm intrigued i'm gonna see if we're, if we're gonna differ on this
0: okay what do you have
1: three small words
0: it's three small words yeah
1: i i I listened
0: to it i i listened to the soundtrack a couple of times this week to be like i'm gonna i'm gonna be i'm gonna be different i'm not gonna be like the the first song that you hear in the movie and there are some like they've got some bops like it's not i like i like
1: like yeah pretend to be nice spin around i think are both good songs
0: yeah it's it's they're not one hit wonders but three small words rocks hard yeah it
1: rocks hard it does uh how do you feel about the du jour songs <laughs> they're
0: fine <laughs> i don't I, I i usually skip over them on the soundtrack just to listen to listen to three small words a, a few more times
1: yeah i was listening to i was reading one of the interviews and their time I'm like yeah we're listening to a taylor swift song we're like oh it sounds like du jour like the the the, the <laughs> beat to it and i was like wow okay uh yeah i think it's three small words i think i also really, really like
0: the the version of the theme song that they did
1: it is, a, it is a good version of theme song uh wow i can see what do you, oh, I ask this this is interesting i didn't notice this what do you think is the highest and lowest song on spotify in terms of plays
0: three small words is number one
1: number one that is correct
0: lowest oh i need to look at the, the track
1: list <laughs> we should have done this for all of the movies We'll say what's the lowest Josie and the Pussycats song? Their their cover of Money. Yep, you're correct. Oh. <laughs> the lowest total is Dejour around the world. Uh but the lowest Josie and the Pussycat's is Back Money, that's what I want. Backdoor lover. Back to our Lover is is higher. That beats a few things. Uh yeah, basically it goes it looks like people just like listen to uh like just songs downward so it's three small words pretend to be nice spin around you don't see me and in, in the top four and that's the first four track list it pops up with backdoor lover and then Josie and the pussycats theme song so yeah three small words i think they really captured the rawness they were going for like showcase what Josie and the pussycats or at that point the pussycats are like before they get tampered with by mm-hmm. big media and big corporations all that stuff it took damon cameo award winner. Who is your choice? It's got
0: to be, be Carson Daly.
1: Oh, you're going Carson Daly?
0: Who who are you going
1: with? I was I don't know they we going with G, Eugene Levy. Um. Oh um, yeah. I mean, also one to mention too is 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 Babyface. We 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 didn't mention Babyface
0: mm-hmm.
1: with his with his uh, of Captain Teniel and and the <laughs> Chief or whatever and the Captain and, and the just,
0: Chief.
1: Yeah. I'll go Carson Daly. I think he has he has more time. And I think because that was just uh, such a
0: fun like like Eugene Levy. It's like when you see that when you're like, oh, wow, he's working for like the evil people. But he's like, yeah, he's just doing a little explanatory video. But like when Carson Daly is actively murdering people,
1: people, it's like, yeah, for, yeah, that's the, they fund company. me, man. They fund my career. I got to kill him when they need me to. Yeah. And also, I mean, no offense to Carson Daly. I mean. I don't see Daly as a, as an actor. I don't see Carson Daly as an actor. I'm sorry. Like I know he does the like he's a host and everything. You don't see
0: Today Show host Carson Daly as an actor? As an
1: actor? No, I don't. I mean, I don't. But like he does a good job.
0: I I guarantee you, if you if I called my mom and I said, "Mom, what what did Carson Daly do before the Today Show?" She wouldn't be able to tell you. <laughs> but she loves him. She loves him now. Well, that's nice. She loves that Today Show. No way. My favorite movie is Lady and the Tramp.
3: When the dogs are eating spaghetti and they share the same piece. <laughs>
4: And, and their, their nose is touch. Touch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, you know, if I wasn't a key player in this whole conspiracy to brainwash the youth of America with pop music, like we could totally date.
3: You think? Oh yeah. God, it'd be so cool. Oh, my God. <laughs> ah! <clears throat> Like I'd ever go out with a guy
1: like you. Beatrice Strait Award,
0: Supporting Actor. Um,
1: no, 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 that's Actor Actress Limited actor, Scenes.
0: Limited Scenes. Um, limited Scenes is a good question.
1: Because like, does everyone? in Dijour count?
0: Yeah, is the Anyone question. Can we nominate all of DeJour as a singular that's, unit? That's because like what. Well,
2: well,
1: yeah.
0: DuJour does DuJour means family.
1: family. Yeah. Dijour means one. Yeah. I I, I vote that. <laughs> because i don't know who else you'd pick i i don't du jour backdoor lovers du jour, du du jour is just like yeah du jour is just like they get two scenes really and mm-hmm. and and then le less gets more at the end but like i think du jour just like it's gotta be them it's gotta be them as yeah. a unit that it's like how i still think about that scene or for years i thought, thought about that scene, and they're just in two scenes together
3: your wife why come my limited edition cocaine has me with a goatee when everybody knows I shaved into a soul patch for the Don't Tell Your Papa video? This is wiggity-whack, Wyatt. It's supposed to be on top of this. No, what's wiggity-whack is your damn monkey. Oh, here we go with a monkey again, DJ. DJ with a monkey. Yes, yes. here we go again. First it pooed on my incense. Then it decided to poo on my two little balls. And then it pooed on my picture of Swami Muktananda. Wyatt, will you please tell this man that du jour means hygiene? You know what? Maybe if you show Dr. Zayas the proper respect, Dr. Zayas will stop showing you the poop.
1: I'm
2: kill you. Yeah, I will kill oh,
1: you, Okay. Up. The Annie Potts X-Factor Award Supporting Actor Actress is the most memorable. Go ahead. It's Alan Cumming. Hell yeah, it's Alan Cumming.
0: I might bring him back up later.
1: <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah, he's amazing. He really he's so is. so much like,
0: fun. He is having a blast. It's, this is just one of those performances where you can tell that He's having a great time.
1: Yeah. He's completely bought into this like kitschy, like outlandish world of this character, of this evil character. His experience with the jour, I think his stuff with them, and just like the kind of like how he plays off Rosario Dawson a lot. And he also does a great job. We've talked about this before of this like the manager trope in these movies of like the manager in Star is born or the the evil manager who like has to get the like the money in the end or whatever Alan Cumming really plays like leans into that trope very well so like when I think of that evil manager role I always think of Alan Cumming and Joseph and the Pussycats because he just sums it up <laughs> perfectly
3: I can't tell you how happy I am to be sitting at this table with the pussy hats
2: <laughs>
4: pussy cats
3: yes of course of course that would explain why you're not wearing any <laughs> Hats. Okay, I speak on behalf of everyone at the label when I say that we'd love for you to sign with Mega Records. Whoa, wait, whoa, don't sign anything. Don't sign anything. Who is this? Alexander Cabot III. I'm actually the Pussycat's manager. Really? Well, in that case, you'll be entitled to 15% of everything they make. I'm his sister, Alexandra. Love the accent. Thank you. I used to summer on the continent, fancy a (laughs) snog. Fancy a mint. Wait a minute, you want
4: to sign us? I mean, you've never even heard us play.
3: Oh, 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 I'm sorry. <laughs> Forgive me. I thought you were a rock band that wanted to sign with a major label. My bad. No, 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 wait, No, no, it's,
4: I just didn't know it could happen this fast.
3: <laughs> well, that's the music biz for you. you. See, if you wait for it to slow down, it might just pass you by. I mean, look what happened to the Beastie Boys.
2: But they're huge stars
1: i know the gene hackman mvp award the person who carries the movie director actor etc are you gonna bring him up here, here again Is that I, I do? I,
0: honestly the first thing that comes to mind is alan Cumming, but but i'm open <laughs> to i'm open to other suggestions <sighs> the other thing i would say is just like i i would say the the writing directing team especially because they were involved yeah. in the songwriting as well
1: that's um, the thing yeah it's it's a difficult. I mean, I think it's a, it's an interesting three way because I like Rachel Lee Cook a lot in this, but that that might be just my my bias uh, in this argument here. But I think if you're going with as you say, like the them writing the music, then also writing the best song of the movie mm-hmm. with three small words. I don't think they write another one of the songs. No, I do. They do. They they write the de jour ones too, which I heard. I read they like wrote like they said in the the back seat of like a car or something (laughs) they're just like yeah we just we're going for like a backstreet boys like backstreet's back like kind of just like weirdness i i I would say deborah Kaplan and harry alfant because i think it, it rides all on them i think as i said earlier the movie works because of the overall tone and if they don't commit to that it just doesn't work
0: yeah i back that make more movies please
4: I know you all came out here tonight because you heard something that you liked on our CD. We're gonna play something different for you tonight, something you haven't heard. It's cool if you like it, it's it's all right if you don't. Just decide for yourselves. This is for someone who said he believed in me.
1: I wish she was here now. Final questions. If you were making this movie in present day, who do you cast?
0: Okay. Strap in because I got I, it's good. It's good.
1: Okay. Okay. I'm ready.
0: I, you know, immediately thought Zoe Deutsch, but then I I said, you know what? No.
1: I thought I thought Zoe Deutsch too.
0: We're branching out. <laughs> She's already signed on to too many Cinemation fantasy reviews. <laughs> so here's here's who we've got and i'm very okay. excited about this cast okay who do you want first uh who all do you have i've got the, the josie and the pussycats i've got um wally okay you and got i've wally. got fiona
1: okay let's go with fiona first
0: okay fiona is phoebe waller bridge love it without a doubt we're not making this movie if she's not attached
1: i love that i love that pick
0: okay okay go go with the woolly. well for him uh we're reteaming her with one of her previous co-stars and we're bringing in andrew scott okay i think i think I like, andrew I scott like would have a yeah, lot yeah. of fun with this role um okay so for the- josie and the pussycats
1: let's go melody
0: for melody we're going dove cameron
1: okay i like that
0: dumb blonde she could she could play it she could hit it really sweet innocent
2: mm-hmm.
0: um and she's a lot of fun i really i really enjoy dove cameron Um, for uh, Valerie, um, Amanda Stenberg.
1: Okay, so you're making me like look these people up.
0: (laughs) I'm up to date on the on the hot hip young people. (laughs) You've gotten better. They were in um, The Hate You Give, was kind of their big
1: breakout. Okay.
0: And they were they're in Dear Evan Hansen, coming soon to a theater near you.
1: Okay, yeah, I like her.
0: And then uh, for Josie, going with Molly Gordon. Of uh Book Smart and and Good Boys.
1: Okay. okay. And
0: recently of of Shiva Baby, which is taking Letterboxd by storm.
1: Yeah, it really is. Uh yeah, you really are up to date on the <laughs> Okay, yeah. <laughs> I like these picks. I like pick picks a lot. I mean Phoebe Water Bridge is the big like, that's your star type like cast yeah. the big name to get to get everyone in, but the young people.
0: Yeah, you got but you gotta have you gotta put a put a hip young group together, and I think these these people are all are all going places.
1: I, I like that. And
0: and much like much like Tara Reed, Dove Cameron's gonna be, be your your draw to the young crowd. She's
1: very popular. Well she's a big Disney person, I know. That I didn't yeah. know. Yeah. Uh descendants. She did hairspray live? Oh. All right. Does this film fit with any of genres? Um
0: I mean it's just an out and out satire um yeah of the music industry of capitalism in general
1: yeah yeah uh, we talked yeah they talked they talked about how it was a very like socialist movie at one point
0: yeah it's very anti-capitalism which is hot with the with with gen z so you know maybe there you go they were just they were just ahead of their time
1: how does this fit within the ban- fictional band genre
0: yeah much like we talked about with with walk hard um this obviously is a is a, is a spoof as a parody of mm-hmm. of you know real bands but but like like we were saying unlike walk hard which specifically set out to be a parody of movies about real bands this is a parody of the music industry it's not necessarily yeah. i mean it it has moments like we talked about where it makes fun of that like montage scene where Mm -hmm. it's definitely poking fun at some of these like band movies that have come before it. But for the most part, it's, it's aiming at what is actually happening in the music industry at the moment it was made. It's not really punching back at, you know, something that came before it. It's not trying to emulate something that came before it, like, like almost famous or, um, or that thing you do or are doing it's, it's really just taking it's it's like shining a light on what's happening right now and, and saying look how ridiculous this is and so i think it's a really unique entry into this genre for that reason because so many of the movies in this genre that we've talked about that are on our letterbox list that are beloved are because they do look back in a way yeah and like we were saying before this one is really just it's a super heightened version of reality but it is trying to present this Parody of the reality of its time, and and yeah. for that reason, it's it's aged really well. You know, if it, if it was just like unironically two thousand in its energy, it might not have aged be that different. well. But be, but yeah. because it's this parody of it, it's it's a lot of fun to look back on.
1: Yeah, which again allows to be that time capsule which allows it to be like uh, again the 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 esthetics of it really hold up i mean it's i i didn't use this in my article for research but there was i was ready to have a little bit of it it's like there's a whole article in vogue about how the style of the costumes the wardrobe of all the characters specifically all uh, the pussycats pussy is that like it holds up they all look great yeah.
0: That style. it's all stuff you put on the like i those styles really, come back yeah i really wish they wouldn't because i'm still embarrassed <laughs> of some of those things but um Still embarrassed that we all decided to pretend that inflatable chairs were comfortable when they weren't, but, uh, but who's you know, bringing
1: those back, Thomas? Who's I, back I haven't, I haven't seen those come
0: back yet and I hope they stay dead because <laughs> I remember my sister got one. Everyone cool had one and my sister finally got one and I was so excited and I sat in it and I was like, this is not comfortable. The little like plastic parts, like cutting into my legs. Like, why is this a thing? It's the same as I'm going to go off on a rant here, but I don't know if you, if, I don't know if these were big in your town. But around this time, too, is when the Adidas sandals with the spikes that were supposed to, like, massage your foot. Oh, those. Are,
1: those, those were not yeah.
0: comfortable. Why <laughs> did we all
1: pretend those were cool?
0: Those sucked.
1: I think we should spin off a whole new podcast series of just, like, let's talk about the fashion things that didn't work. I, or the don't
0: tech- tell. Listen, if you're. If, listen to me. If you're Gen Z and you listen to this podcast right now, I haven't seen those come back yet. Don't bring them back. They don't need to come back. <laughs> <laughs> leave them dead i like adidas i'm a big adidas fan i wear a lot of adidas but like but those if you shoes bring those spikes back. <laughs> I, I tried so hard i wanted those so bad and i finally talked to my mom into getting me like the walmart knockoffs and i just remember putting them on and being like i hate these immediately but i like could not say that out loud because my mom would take them back immediately i had to pretend to like them for forever
1: and then she'd be like i'm never getting you anything ever again because you're just gonna hate it <laughs> Alright. Well, that's the end of this month, so our last kind of section with the end of a month episode. Uh is there do you have any apologies? Any apologies for the month?
0: Uh I mean I only I, I wish that we could have gotten to more stuff. There's a lot of really great um movies in there. Uh, I do I do really like I it might have seemed kind of snarky the way I was talking about Sing Street earlier. I do really enjoy Sing Street. Um also really like airheads. I feel like we never brought airheads I out, talked but it's, about it's on Air- the it's on the yeah, list. Yeah, it's
1: on the list. I talked about Airheads today, weirdly, in the clubhouse discussion, where I said it's, it's a little bit of a satire, in a way, of the industry at that point too, with like the mm-hmm. way it does radio and kind of payola and things like that. It reminds me a lot of it's it's a, it's a Joe's and the pussycats light is kind of <laughs> what I say it. It's like it has a little bit of stuff there that goes yep. with today. But yeah, go um, check
0: out the Letterbox List if you've enjoyed this month. Like as we've obviously touched on, you know, a lot of these films have kind of lived in like cult obscurity since they came out. So um check out the letterbox list. You might find something you're you know you really enjoy that that speaks to you personally.
1: I'll mention, let's see, what's what I want to mention? Let me see. Because so we'll do that real quick. I'm gonna go through my ratings. I mean things we've talked we talked about School of Rock before, we've talked about uh Sing Street before. One I I'll give a little bit of an underrated one that I like, that I thought was pretty good was Juliet Naked, with Ethan Hawke.
0: I love Juliet Naked. I've seen that yeah. one multiple times.
1: It's a solid. It's a solid little film. That's really charming. Uh, I
0: did get it. Did actually get a shout out this month as as being Judd Apatow's lowest grossing film, but You're, <laughs> it was on a limited release. I can I'll, attest to that. I oh, saw it in okay. a very small art house theater.
1: Side thing, shout out Judd Apatow here because because he so. He's got Begin Again. He produced the mm-hmm. John Carney movie with, with Keira Knightley and Mark Ruffalo. He's got uh, Juliet Naked. He's got Walk Hard. He's got Pop Star. He's yep. got Game to the Greek. Yep. He's got fi- at least five movies that I know of on this list.
0: Is he the most prolific producer on our on our list? He
1: might be. He might be. Honestly. It's up thank, there. Thank you, Chad Apatow, for keeping thank this. Thank you, Chad Apatow.
0: Obviously, not financially feasible genre alive.
1: Yeah, I didn't know. I know this is why I learned this month. I didn't know Chad Apatow was such a big guy in the music fake music uh, scene. So yeah, anything else? Anything else that you learned this month?
0: These great songs. You know, some some of these songs I've been listening to for a long time. Some of them I, I, I'm coming back to. Yeah, um, but I'll be listening to a lot of these on my that's, spotify for a while yeah.
1: that's what i learned in this month is just how like as i said not financially successful but are able to kind of carry on due to the music that that time spent creating those songs the hard the, the hard uh hard time uh the long periods of like trying to write a whole soundtrack or in some cases if it's like walk hard a hundred songs or even more uh depending on which movie you're working on like if you put a lot of effort into it, if it's very much like this all-star team of people, the hope is that you create something kind of magical. And I think in this, in these kind of four movies we talked about, no matter how you feel about the movie, I think all the... You can tell there's a lot of effort put into the music of the movies. And that's mm-hmm. allowed them to have this continuing legacy that some others don't have.
0: Yeah. And Yeah, for sure.
1: Well... That's all we have for on this episode, everyone. And that, that concludes the month's discussion on fictional bands. Next month, we'll be bringing back our month-long director series. And for June, we'll be discussing the career of Tony Scott. Maybe you'll know Tony Scott for his films like Man on Fire, Beverly Hills Cop 2, True Romance, and Top Gun. I think he made 16 films total, so we're going through all of them next month. Each episode will do four movies. Uh, so please... Go and watch some of Tony Scott's films so you can follow along with us as the month goes on. And if you haven't already, uh, make sure you subscribe to the Nation Podcast and our Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you write us a review on whatever platform you listen to on.
0: Yeah, guys, uh, let us know, you know, what you want to hear from us in the future. If you've got anything specific you want us to cover, you know, we take all kinds of suggestions. Just hit us up. We'd love to hear from you.
1: And if you haven't already, make sure you like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We also have, as we start today, a clubhouse uh, club, you can join and and listen to us talk on clubhouse whenever we do it and join and talk to us. We'd like to hear, we like to hear what you guys have to say. Any interaction with you guys is, is great for us. We like hearing uh, what you have to say and your opinions on what we're talking about. So thank you so much, uh, Thomas. Thank you for a great month of band movies.
0: Yeah, man. It's been a blast.
1: It's a fun time. And thank you as always for joining me and thank you all for listening. Hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye.